think again, my friend. Episode 12. Family Restaurants. Contains explicit content. What are you listening to for the next half hour? Think again, my friend. It's just, it's crack. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been doing it wrong. <laughs> yes. When I have been doing it at all. I'm not going to tell you what the context is on that. I'm just going to say it's Think Again, My Friend, the quiz show podcast and informational entertainment. Uh, I am your host, Mike Sugarbaker. If the panelists would introduce themselves, starting to my left. Um, my name is Mark Bergo, and I have no idea what this podcast is about. Excellent. Uh, yes. Uh, my name is Kristen McCurdy, and I'm wondering if you were a casual chain dining restaurant, what would your theme be, Brendan? I'm Brendan Adkins, and I have no idea if I were a casual theme restaurant what my theme would be. All right. You have some time. Okay. You have some time to think that about That was your so admirably well set up between the <laughs> two of you and completely content-free. Um, our theme uh, on this episode is family restaurants. So. Um, the main thing that I want to set up for our listeners for this episode is that uh, on this episode, no one is keeping score. The scorekeeper is not present. I don't even know why. I'm not going to fucking do it. We are completely... I, there I is feel, a mathematician. I was going to say, if only we knew you, someone. Who is not doing yeah, anything. Tom Henderson, um, a.k.a. Yes. Math Punk, is here, and we'll find out what he does like without trying. Um, or you could try. I don't know. You're, you're looking at me with kind of wounded puppy dog eyes. He's, just, he's still eating his burrito. <laughs> okay. It's a secret, quiet judging. All right. Okay. All right. We'll Let go us with know that. at the end who's the winner. Will do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say that this, that this sort of fire and ice is coursing through my veins at the thought of an unjudged uh, quiz show. As um, opposed to the uh, entirely randomly judged quiz show we normally have. Well, the, judgment coming from somewhere is important. And frankly, random judgment is kind of the default. Uh we're, we're all products of, you know, however many years of education. Mm -hmm. we, need to be, we need to be periodically ranked and assessed. Yes, and they didn't have a plan for that shit. No. <laughs> um, so I will start us off uh, with a question about my personal favorite family restaurant. Um, this, of course, reaches back to my youth because um, that's inescapable with family restaurants. If there aren't children around, then... You can't prove it's a family restaurant, at least. Mm. Um, but there's for by one definition a family restaurant, the other one being family owned. But yes, there is that as well. That's that's a whole other. I hope that we check that out too. Rabbit hole. Oh, we of do. Trivia. My favorite family restaurant growing up was a place called Hippopotamus Hamburgers, uh, which was legendary. Uh, was open for probably forty years um, in San Francisco at the corner of Van Ness Avenue and and Pacific, and. Um, it had all these murals and logos and things by a, uh, a famous uh, cartoonist. Well, he was supposedly famous, although he disappeared without a trace, um, named uh, Wolo von Trutschler. We have here on the table. I'm sorry, how many consonants are in Trutschler? Uh, we're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have here on the table the book, The Hippo Cookbook, that was uh, published in 1969. The uh, proprietor of the restaurant, Jack Falvey wrote uh, a number of things in this book about the uh, 100 plus varieties of hamburger that were served at the restaurant. According to Mr. Falvey, uh, what business across the street uh, was the inspiration for the hamburger Sunday? Dairy Queen? Baskin Robbins. 7-Eleven. Um, <laughs> Did they have 7-Elevens yet in 1969? I have no idea. All right. That's well, we'll save that answer for the. Uh, they were founded in 1911. Actually. Convenience store in July. Oh, Seven <laughs> Eleven. Never forget. Yeah. Yes. Um, it turns out the answer is um, Doctor Norris of the field of gynecology, with his offices across the street. What? And his many carriers turning up in the hippo inspired me to create the hamburger Sunday, a hamburger made to satisfy the craving of the pregnant ones. 
a hot hamburger patty smothered with vanilla ice cream, sliced kosher pickle, and hot fudge topped with a maraschino cherry and nuts. The kids will love it too. I'm sorry, carriers of what? Carriers of uh, of preborn uh, human uh, infants. That's a really weird way to refer to it a is, pregnant woman. To be fair, it like is in quotes. Readers, is it is less in scare weird. quotes. <laughs> Broodmare is less weird. <laughs> All right, no, you want to see something awesome? Okay. Carriers, carriers of that scourge known as humanity. Yeah. Brendan, turn turn to page uh, twenty four in right. the Hippo Cookbook, which I'd like to note uh, for our listeners is the size and shape of a Garfield collection. Yes. Uh, Roughly. This features a grass I mean, burger, not that I know. sometimes known as a pot burger. <laughs> the recipe Into the patty, work your refined grass. Knead it in and enjoy the laugh in. That is the complete recipe. That's the complete recipe. 1969. Yeah. Date of publication of the cookbook. That's a gem. Um, as for Wolo, the cartoonist who created uh, the hippo uh, image, oh, more accurately, the image of a female hippo from behind with a little bow and a heart on her ass he's from europe i don't know <laughs> but that thing was immense up on the uh, up on the the east wall and uh we, w- we would gaze up at it because what else were we going to do um and here's my question is uh within one how many names did this guy actually have, including his title? <laughs> within one? Yeah, Wolo von, von Trischler is not his actual proper name. Uh, it's a, Wolo is a nickname. Um, but he has a lot of names and how many words within one? How is within one any different or than... Closest. We'll say, we'll say closest. <laughs> okay. Uh, seven. Twelve. Uh, I'll go with two just to do the purpose right thing. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, Burgo is closest. His name is Baron Wolf Erhardt Anton George Trutschler von Falkenstein. He was a baron? Apparently. Or was that just his first name? Maybe it was just his first name. Uh, he moved to uh, the United States from his native... <laughs> um, in, uh, in the 20s. Started out in L.A. Uh, true or false... Wolo did a sketch for Edgar Bergen for $5 that became the basis of the character design of Edgar Bergen's famous ventriloquist dummy, Charlie McCarthy. True? True? False. Brendan has it. It's false. He did do the design for Edgar Bergen's character, Mortimer Snurd. <laughs> the one that nobody remembers. Because nobody <laughs> yeah, even... Mortimer Snurd. Nobody mm. even remembers ventriloquists. <laughs> I'm not sure how I remember Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. I remember the name Mortimer Snurd, actually, because I always thought it was an awesome name. It's a great name. It was one of those names that's kind of went the way of uh, ventriloquism. Mm. Okay. Mr. Burgo, I see a whole lot of questions in front of you. Well, it's a lot of notes. I think there are actually three questions. All right. Um, well, we can we can have kind of an open floor discussion. Show exactly. And, and, you know, my first question is, in what state was the first Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant opened in? should really know this <laughs> having it's lived not a state it's a commonwealth a brendan quarter of a century yeah <laughs> it's, it's still a fucking state i'm gonna say north carolina i'm gonna say kentucky i'm gonna say it was virginia at the time and later became kentucky <laughs> actually the first uh restaurant that was called the kentucky fried chicken was opened in south salt lake city utah wow in wow. 1952 Colonel Sanders' original restaurant was just called uh, Sanders Court and Cafe, and it was his gas station. That's right. Mm. And I'm, then the interstate was built, and that's when he invented the concept of franchising. I wish I hadn't known. I, like, I'm glad I didn't know that before. I <laughs> wish I still didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could enlighten I'm, you. Thanks. <laughs> you burdened my life with facts. <laughs> Isn't that what trivia podcasts are all about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> There was actually just a segment on uh, the Nerdist podcast in the last couple of weeks, which was, which was a joke about how they would have a segment called I'm Sorry I Know That Now. <laughs> um, I think you, you burden my life with facts should just be, we should have it as a drop and just play yeah. it interspersed throughout. <laughs> yeah. Right. We, yeah. That's another joke they have going on the Nerdist podcast is they all replace themselves with soundboards. Mm. Um I think we do need more obnoxious sound effects. Like we we need more just like a button that sounds like someone having an orgasm and a button that, you know. Or a soundboard of Kristen's like various farting. giggles. Yes. I was going to say that. 
<laughs> then I was going to ask what an orgasm sounds like. Because <laughs> I, I have a question about franchises. When get you find out, right off me. that topic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so there's a pizza show. <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> I thought it sounded like tears. <laughs> Sorry. We done now? We good? Hi. 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 Kids? Hi. We'll turn this podcast around. <laughs> Which pizza chain, founded in 1959 in Garden City, Michigan, shares its name with a 1931 Warner Brothers gangster movie? 1931? Yeah. Hmm. So it can't uh, be Godfather. The movie was Edward oh, G. Little Robinson's Caesars. Breakout. There you go. Good man. What is it? Little Caesar. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Yeah. See? You would never guess from its current uh, iconography. I don't know if it was actually... actually based on the movie or not. Uh, I, I think they just like the notion of the little... Caesar. Still, though, that suggests an undercurrent and a theme yeah. to America's pizza legacy. Dirt cheap, <laughs> terrible pizza. Yeah. Maf- mafia owned. I've got all kinds of questions about mafia owned pizza. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. Let's have another. All right. Um, so there was a trial in the 1980s, uh, specifically 1985 to 1987 was the length of the trial. It was called the Pizza Connection Trial. Um, wow. One of the biggest organized crime cases ever prosecuted in the United States. And it's almost a little unfair that we have a lawyer at the table with us. But uh, it's centered around the use of mafia-owned pizza parlors to distribute heroin in New York and New Jersey. Um, it lasted from September 30th, 1985 to March 2nd, 1987. Within $10 million, how much did it cost the United States? $100 million. I'll go with $200 million. Um, I'm going to say... 80 million. 50 million, but this is before inflation. Oh, okay. Uh, which is still a lot of fucking money. <laughs> um, there were 22 defendants, uh, almost none of whom spoke English. They were all Sicilian born. Three of them died before the trial was over. <laughs> uh, and the lead restaurant in the case. What, what was the cause of death? Um, one was, well, two were murdered, and one just, I think, died of natural causes. Okay. Um, not the, cholesterol. The poison. jury was not allowed to take notes for two years. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Sometimes they had to leave the room while the prosecution presented evidence because of there was a risk to undercover uh, officers. So I don't know how exactly they were expected to deliver a verdict, but they did. Um, and a lot of people got deported. And the lead restaurant in the case was called Al Dente's. It was in Forest Hills, Queens, and it is still open. <laughs> Al Dente's? Al Dente's. Run by Mr. Al Dente? It's under different management now, so uh. maybe not. But... <laughs> Well, you know, you can you develop a very good customer base when you coat your pizza with heroin. Yeah. Kristen, you got something else for us? I've, I've got some stuff for you. Um, in 2005, a five-year-old boy received what drink in a sippy cup while dining with his mother at Applebee's? It's not a multiple choice. In a sippy cup? Margarita. Applebee's? Got to be a margarita. Yeah, or yeah. a daiquiri. White Russian. Zachary. It's a Long Island iced tea. Oh. Whoa. In June 2007, however, a two-year-old boy at a different Applebee's <laughs> received a margarita instead of apple juice. And a 15-month-old boy in Madison Heights, Michigan, also received a margarita instead of, instead of apple juice while dining at Applebee's. And he had to be taken to the hospital. The other two were apparently just <laughs> awfully sleepy. Well, they probably built up a tolerance. <laughs> right. <laughs> they are Applebee's customers for life. Yes. Well, this is the thing that I find really beautiful about Applebee's, and apparently just as a kid I was un, kind of unaware um, or didn't think about it much, but the whole merger between family restaurants and, like, I guess, fern bars Mm-hmm. And of the, the the this merger of like catering to the kids and also get really wasted. <laughs> yeah. And and I can kind of see how it emerged naturally and capitalistically mm-hmm. of you know needing to cater to a post business crowd and also keep something going throughout your evening, uh, you know, after happy hours over. I remember Applebee's was a big deal in my college town um, because <laughs> I went to college in Danville, Kentucky, which 
until pretty recently was dry. Um, like you oh. could not serve alcohol. The campus was wet. You could drink alcohol. You just couldn't buy it for 40 miles in any direction. Oh, shit. Um, so when there was potentially, the college was actually split into two voting districts to prevent college students from voting as a block to turn the <laughs> county wet. That's right, right down the middle of the campus. Um, but yeah, during my senior year, they were finally kind of, there was some movement to make it a moist county. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> because you would, uh, they would allow you to serve alcohol if 60% of your revenue came from food. Mm. Um, so yeah, the potential of an Applebee's opening up was like hot gossip amongst the frats. Um, <laughs> I heard more than once the sentence, if we go moist, <laughs> Applebee's will be here within 60 days. <laughs> and in fact, they were. Wow. I, I think I just decided that Moist County is the name of the band that I'm starting that I don't want anyone to ever come see. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Applebee's, oh it's moist. <laughs> <laughs> if we go moist. Yeah. All right. What am I going to ask you fuckers about? Here we go. Um, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, McDonald's. Um, in the... And this is just a factoid in the CNBC documentary, Big Mac Inside the McDonald's Empire. Mm -hmm. Dick McDonald, one of the McDonald brothers who fucking opened the first McDonald's, was uh, on tape. And I think the tape was from the late 80s, but he was on tape as saying, well, you know, the kids really loved it. And if you get the kids, then you get mama and papa, too. And... uh, on that subject, for the record, Dick McDonald's is my porn star name. <laughs> um, on the subject of the kids Dick versus McDonald's, starring in Moist County. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you will know what an orgasm sounds like. <laughs> Boom. Way to tie it all together. Yeah, we can end the show end now. The show now. <laughs> yes, we can, and perhaps must. Uh, in 1996, McDonald's introduced the Arch Deluxe, a uh, sandwich that was meant incredibly explicitly to appeal to adults, not children. I think that was in the ad copy. Yeah, no, it was in the ad copy to the point where they did ads that basically didn't talk about the food, but just depicted a bunch of children going, ew, <laughs> um, which is an interesting tack to take if you yeah. sell food um, within... 10 million, how much did they spend total advertising the Arch Deluxe? 25 million. Mm, 70. 250. You are all wrong. Uh, 100 million Mm. was the total price of the ad campaign, uh, which did utterly fail. Um, (laughs) Wait, they don't still serve those? No, no, they don't. Um, But like the McRib, it may rise again. (laughs) I don't think we're going to see the Arch Deluxe again. Um, what's amazing about the Arch Deluxe is that essentially the only difference between it and um, something that I think they do still serve, I mean, basically a gussied up um, quarter pounder, is uh, is the bun. Mm-hmm. They had this kind of nice looking bun. <laughs> I don't even know if it was different. Uh, I remember that it looked like there was a lot more lettuce in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have one more about McDonald's and I feel that it's kind of the uh, the beating heart of the show. So I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Um the McLean Deluxe, released in 1991, um, was a McDonald's play to the uh, increasingly uh, fat-conscious uh, consumer. The McLean Deluxe was advertised as being 90% fat-free. Um, That's horrifying. <laughs> and a 90% beef hamburger. Um, as it turns out, much of the uh, fat was replaced uh, with water, but how was this done? Was it A... Uh, using carrageenan, mostly derived from seaweed. Was it B, using a soy-based hydrocolloid now known as VersaWhip? I own a package of VersaWhip. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Was it C, a mix of mushrooms and flour similar to veggie burgers? Uh, or was it D, corn, like every fucking thing else? Going with uh, fucking corn. All right. I'm going to go with C. See the uh, the mushrooms and veggie burger esque uh, base. I hope in my heart for seaweed. For seaweed, you are correct. Carrageenan mm. mostly derived from seaweed. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, everybody was freaking out about what was in those things to the point where it doesn't make sense. Uh, I was a fan of those actually as a kid. I liked the McLean Deluxe. <laughs> I did not eat healthy in any other respect. Certainly Were you not when I was born at thirty-two or what? <laughs> <laughs> this was in the early nineties. I I was excited about things that um, McDonald's was excited about. Fair enough. As a kid, were they served with Crystal Pepsi's? Uh, no, no, it was Coke at uh, McDonald's, as you would know if you were actually American. The fat in Crystal Pepsi was actually replaced with meth. That's a little known fact. <laughs> are they Crystal's Pepsi? <laughs> that stupid joke gets me every time. I don't get it. Okay. Um, Burgo, what else you got? All right, so uh, this uh, family restaurant chain requires its employees to sign a contract. It contains multiple provisions, one of which being that they acknowledge and affirm that I do not find my job duties, uniform requirements, or work environment to be offensive, intimidating, hostile, or unwelcome. Hooters. <laughs> yes. Hooters. This, the contract also includes the terms... My job duties require that I interact with and entertain the customers. The Hooters concept is based on female sex appeal and the work environment in one is one in which joking and entertaining conversations are commonplace. <laughs> Apparently, the Hooters concept has really taken off in the last two or three years, and there. I'm gonna are... hang on, hang on. I'm gonna guess uh, Rainforest Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what, uh, I can't remember what the um, what the portmanteau that I read in the article that I read about this was. It was something, it, you know, it was like rest titrants or something like that, or oh, boomerants. Or it was, it was, it was terrible. But yeah, apparently there are a few other um, chains similar to Hooters that have sprung up in office parks around the nation in the last mm. two or three years. The idea being that. Uh, white collar workers are working longer hours for less pay and are probably going to have to just eat dinner in the neighborhood and go back to the office. Therefore they might as well see some cleavage. So, um, that's, that's my piece of, uh, cultural reporting for the day. I, I do often wonder how I'm going to fit cleavage into my day. <laughs> <laughs> I just wear you know, tighter shirts. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like exercise, you know, if you don't, if you don't schedule it, <laughs> I'm sorry, boss. That is my cleavage time. I'm not working through that. <laughs> is there is there further related? I, I don't have this problem, that, of course. That, that's but... what I, all I have. Hooters related, though. Okay. Uh, on a somewhat related note, uh, I was poking around and discovered. <laughs> and by the way, Mark has an owl on his T-shirt. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Those and of you cleavage. in the listening audience who cannot I'm see. I'm wearing, you know, tan pantyhose and white sneakers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, so what chain restaurant has been named the unhealthiest restaurant in America? Chain so many choices. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking it's something in the Chili's vein. Oh, is it, is it, um. Outback? No, is it, uh, Tony Roma's? Tony Roma's, one guess. I'm going to go with Outback, just for the blue and onion. Outback? Onions have, like, no calories to start with, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so all of the calories of a blue and onion are I know, I'm fat. just saying, compared to French fries, probably oh, that's meh. That's a point. Huh. Um, I don't know, Denny's? Well, as a hint, it's a uh, symbol on NASDAQ is cake. Oh, the... Uh, the ice cream place. It's Cheesecake Factory. Oh, Cheesecake yeah. oh, of course. <laughs> I was poking around on there. It appears like every single thing on the menu has more than your day's worth of calories. Oh, God. I've eaten there. I have, I have never I have eaten. Too. I have I've never eaten at a Cheesecake Factory, and I feel like I would be really disappointed because every time I hear the words Cheesecake Factory, I picture an assembly line of cheesecakes and that that's just what it is, and, and that you're actually one. dodging. Yeah, no, no, no it's, I mean, like that, it's, it's exactly like that, but goes directly into America's mall. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the old spaghetti factory also no assembly lines. Yeah. Would you want to see them make old spaghetti though? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> 
No, the factory is old, Brendan. The factory. Except it, it's, they usually It's aren't. actually Spaghetti's factory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been to I, oh, one, of the, one of the earliest old Spaghetti factory locations. But. The, um, the, the Cheesecake Factory menu contains, I believe it's the pasta carbonara, has 2,600 oh. calories and five days worth of your sodium in <laughs> So if you have really, really, if you're training for a marathon, this is where you need to go. Yeah, there's one thing like people... Your blood pressure is so low. Getting ready for a marathon needs to eat a bunch of fucking cheesecake. Right. <laughs> I want to go to a restaurant that where the theme is actually the fun factory from Play-Doh. Mm. Just everything gets extruded onto your plate and like they'll they'll ask you like what dye, you know, what shape <laughs> you want things in. <laughs> Soylent green is people. I've had that nightmare. <laughs> Brendan, uh, you look ready to ask something. Yeah, this is a question about good food. Um it concerns a family restaurant, like my other questions, in two senses of the word. Uh, it was opened in East Harlem, 1896, still owned by the family of its founder, and is notorious as a mafia meeting spot. Uh it seats only 20 people and is impossible to get into, uh, like literally impossible unless you know somebody who will get you a table. Um, is it A, Pellegrino's, B, Raimondo's, C, Urbito's, or D, Rouse? I think Raimondo's sounds the most plausible of all those. <laughs> I don't know. Spaghetti Factory? <laughs> it is, actually. Hmm. I'll go with A. I'll go with B. Uh, you're all wrong. The answer is Rouse. Um, although all those names have a connection to it in some way. Uh, mm. It is owned by Frank Pellegrino, the grandnephew of the founder, Charles Rau. Uh Frank Pellegrino also played Johnny Dio in Goodfellas. And the <laughs> restaurant inspired a restaurant in Goodfellas. Uh, there was a Law & Order episode called Everybody Loves Raimondo's, which uh, was based on the restaurant. And the restaurant in that was called Raimondo's. Um, and one of the most famous or infamous patrons of this restaurant was... Uh, Anthony Fat Tony Rabito, who served a couple of years on racketeering, uh, was released in 2009, and as part of his parole deal, was prohibited from going to Rao's, <laughs> among several other restaurants. Wow. Yeah. How long, how long did that um, prohibition hold? On I don't know. We should ask we him. We don't know. Oh. Well, let's get research on the phone with him. Yeah. We need, we need interns. <laughs> yeah. Interns we can sacrifice to the mob. Yes. Are there any other kind of interns? <laughs> okay. Everybody has a device. And this is something that I want people to start thinking about, is that in uh, in a short while, and I have one of these prepared and another one that you can find quickly, but um, also I want there to be room for freestyling. Um, we're going to have a competition to read corporate restaurant histories in the most menacing way that you can. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... Um, That'll be coming up at the end of the program. Uh, so think about that. Hi, Kristen. Your mouth is full again. My mouth is full again. <laughs> so I have a question. What was the rock of fire explosion? Was it A, hot wings, a hot wings dish served at the Hard Rock Cafe for a short period in the mid-1990s? B, before the explosion. <laughs> the media's name for a brief but spectacular fire at, Coney, at a Coney Island concession stand that resulted in the immediate immolation of about a dozen cones of cotton candy, or C, the band of animatronic robots that entertained families at Showbiz, showbiz Pizza locations in the 1980s. Oh, shit, Showbiz Pizza. C, it's got to be. I say A. It is actually C. Ah. How depressed are you that B never happened? That only <laughs> happened in my brain. And ever since I thought of it, I've just been like... I bet cotton candy could spontaneously... And it would be beautiful. Combust, yes. Spontaneously be combust. Beautiful. Well, I mean, flour can. Moist. Mm. Flour, well, that takes a spark. It's not spontaneous. I, I think you're wrong. I think, like, there's a real problem with grain mm. silos, mm -hmm. where just the friction between this, you know, kind of floating chaff... Yeah. Will trigger fires. There is yeah. no way that that would happen with molten sugar. I, I, okay. <laughs> I still. I, they, just, do, they heat it up in the, you know, uh, the spinner. Either, either way, I really. Dreams, <laughs> yes. Either way, I really want of to. All, if to anybody light some with your last name. Shouldn't have said sugar melter, dick. <laughs> <laughs> 
Also, also, why you would hope for that when you could instead just hope that it would spontaneously remelt <laughs> and drop onto whoever was holding it like napalm? Oh, it's horrifying. <sighs> yes. This podcast took a turn to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> to the darker. I side. take my shit seriously. <laughs> Do you? By shit, you mean sugar. Oh. <laughs> I, hmm. I'm going to ask the you another listeners question can't hear if that's me, okay. Um, twitching. Okay, go Is ahead. Is that okay? Please. Uh, all but six Denny's restaurants did what for the first time on Christmas Day in 1988? Close. Shut. Serve black people. <laughs> <laughs> this, this one goes to Burgo. Um, a lot... <laughs> They weren't very good at that. Still, at that time, in my that's, defense, that's true. Uh, a lot of a lot of the restaurants in the chain actually had to buy locks um, because a lot of them had been built without them, and some of them. What were thinking? Some of them had misplaced their keys. <laughs> they were thinking, "We're never ever going to close." Yeah, we'll save that five dollars. <laughs> no, but they were thinking we always want to be open twenty four hours because we want hungover factory workers. To come in at 6 a.m. Yeah. I don't know. Chain smoking high school students. <laughs> and yeah. chain smoking high school students. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my fairly easy but still charming question. <laughs> uh, so a couple years ago, the Italian parliament uh, commissioned a year-long study to find out how much um, organized crime revenue in Italy came from the food industry. Was it A, 5.6%, B, 9.9%, C, 11.8%, or D, 25.4%? I'm going to say D. D. Christy? C. Uh, it's only 5.6%, which is still 12 billion euro. <laughs> <laughs> which, if you do some quick math, tells you a lot about the GDP of organized crime in Italy. That is... Way more than how many euro I have. Yes. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I, I believe I have precisely zero euro. Uh, I had some. Say, say that five times fast. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I made it weird again. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Uh, who wrote in 1972 that Seattle-based restaurateur Ivar Hagland was quote, not afraid to reflect Puget Sound tradition in the decor of his restaurants, where others of his profession seem intent on making their patrons forget where they are. Who wrote that? Who wrote that? I have no idea. Uh, Jeffrey Steingarten? Uh, Christopher McCurdy? In 1972. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the person's name was Nard Jones, and I had never heard of them before, but I just wanted to say Nard Jones on the podcast. <laughs> and you wanted, more importantly, you wanted to be the first to say it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so speaking of Seattle, uh, there's, a, as most people know, a restaurant on top of the Space Needle, and it's, you know, one of those restaurants that kind of started coming out in the 60s that revolves. And the uh, yes. the system on the Space Needle that uh, powers the floor to resolve, it does one revolution every 47, 47 minutes. Uh, the floor itself weighs roughly 125 tons. And my question is, how many horsepower is the engine that moves the floor? A lot. <laughs> Within 50. I haven't, I haven't owned a car in like five years. <laughs> I don't even know what like normal horsepower is. I'm gonna say a thousand, a thousand horsepower. A thousand. Why do we still measure 15, engines 000. by horsepower? Uh, in case for conversion, we don't measure computers by abacus power. <laughs> we should. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is in fact a one and a half horsepower motor. Yeah, I was just thinking probably one big horse could make <laughs> yeah, something that's a good that, point. that <laughs> that's one hundred twenty-five tons not move but rotate. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't take a lot of horses. Don't, what? Why are you looking at me? Because <laughs> you're across the table. Okay. I feel bad for that horse though. I mean, <laughs> I for forty years horse. now. Yeah, I don't have a horse. <laughs> <laughs> The real victim here. 
<laughs> it's actually just one guy in the back of a horse suit. <laughs> this joke was not funny 30 years ago. Yes, on the outside of the Space Needle. Yeah. <laughs> That's really what drives it home. It's time um, for a segment that we call This or That. Uh, and and pretty much uh, it's it, I'm gonna say lines and you have to say um, who who said them and you have two choices. Your two choices tonight are Herman Cain or Homer Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Herman Cain, of course, relevant to tonight's program because he is his, uh, he was the founder CEO something something Godfather Pizza. And I guarantee you, there was an episode in which Homer ran a restaurant. Okay. At this point, probably. Um, so, the first the first one is, just because I don't care doesn't mean I don't understand. Ooh. It's got to be Simpson. Yeah, I think it's Homer Simpson. Oh, are we each getting a guess? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll say Herman Cain. It was Homer Simpson. All right. We need a leader, not a reader. I'll say Homer Simpson. <laughs> it is Herman Cain. Uh, I agree with you in theory. In theory, communism works. In That's theory. Homer Simpson. Yeah, Homer Simpson. I'll say Herman Cain. <laughs> <laughs> Getting out of jury duty is easy. No, wait, wait a goddamn minute. <laughs> oh, that was Homer Simpson. Sorry. All right. I, I didn't know I was a conservative when it didn't matter to me growing up. I didn't. What? <laughs> That's Herman Cain. That's too authentic to be yeah. over Exactly. That was not written by like six writers. The and Simpsons then... joke had to make not. sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although it is just, it is just gibberishy enough that it could almost be Homer Simpson, but yeah, yeah it is Herman Cain. How do you say delicious in Cuban? Herman Cain. Simpson. Homer Simpson. It's it's Herman Cain. Oh, oh no! <laughs> what? <laughs> no! <sighs> uh, it will be a 20-foot wall, barbed wire, electrified on the top, Cain. and on the side of the fence, I'll have that moat that President Obama talked about, and I will put those alligators in that <clears throat> moat. Will they have lasers on their head? <laughs> yeah, those alligators? <laughs> Was he giving this speech at a, like at one of those Florida tourist traps where you wrestle alligators every half an hour? I, I don't know. And did he wrestle that alligator? He was actually giving it two alligators. And was his was his failure <laughs> to wrestle that alligator? He was actually saying, I will take the rival alligators and put them in the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was Herman Cain, okay. but, um, you yes. know, dogs with bees in their mouths. Anyway, <laughs> that's immediately what I thought of when I read that, so I had to include it. All my life, I've had one dream, to achieve my many goals. Oh, that's oh, tough. Oh, oh. That is tough. Uh, this whole thing has been tough, but that's got to be Kane. Simpson? <laughs> uh, I'll say Homer Simpson. I said Kane. I'll go Kane. Simpson. Oh. Yes! American donuts, glazed, powdered, and raspberry filled. Now, how's that for freedom of choice? That has Kane. Simpson. Simpson. It is Simpson. <laughs> and the last one is stupid people are ruining America. <laughs> I don't believe either of them would have said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark Burgo is dead. <laughs> Herman Cain. Lisa Simpson. That's Homer Simpson. Answer. Herman Cain. Oh. Stupid people. Submitted with that comment. <laughs> All right. Um, is it time? Now, okay, I'm going to bring... We've got to bring up some URLs to some people. Mine's already there. Oh, oh, you've got yours? I've got mine. Okay. Right. Which uh, which one is it again? Monsanto. It's Okay. That's not a restaurant. It's food. Related. Oh, God damn it. All right, so we have carefully and seamlessly devised here on the program a, uh, a means by which we're going to compete to see which corporate webpage describing the history of a uh, restaurant industry-related business can be the creepiest one. 
and this is not exactly scientific because we're going to have three different panelists uh, reading, and it's kind of a competition to see who can who can make it the weirdest. But we'll see here. We've got uh, Burgo handling the uh, the food supplier extraordinaire Cisco, and we're going to have Kristen uh, taking it a little closer to the people, talking about Dairy Queen, and then we're going to have Brendan on the far end of the supply chain with uh, Monsanto. Which is totally fucking cheating, but whatever. All right, Burgo, you're up. As opposed to Cisco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Since the initial public af- offering in 1970, when sales were $115 million, Cisco has grown to $37 <laughs> billion in sales for the fiscal year 2010. Many solid customer relationships have been nurtured along the way. Countless dining trends and meal alternatives have evolved. And today, the decision to consume meals prepared away from home is as much necessity as choice. Today, Cisco and its sales and service relationships with approximately 400,000 customers and remains committed to helping them succeed in food service industry and satisfy consumers' appetites. Operating from a global base of more than 180 locations in the United States, Canada, and uh, the country of Ireland, Cisco's product lines are as diverse as the 45,000 employees who support its daily operations in the salt mines of San Antonio. <laughs> they include not only the ingredients needed to prepare meals, but also numerous ancillary preparation and serving items. As a result, Cisco would make a difference in its customer lives and their deaths. All right, Tom, um, where are you putting that um, from 0.0 to 10.0? Uh, in terms of, of horror or investment opportunity. Uh, what's the difference, exactly? The, the, that was correct. Um, <laughs> I, I will give it a 4, uh, 4.2. Okay. 4.2. A conservative judge in the early rounds here. All right. Hmm. All right. Well, Burgo, how do you feel that you did there? Uh, I felt I did pretty uh, terribly. But it got the job done. That's not how the figure skating interviews usually go. <laughs> no, generally, I feel I did about as well. Be great as if it as, did, but it got the job done. As, as, as the figures were skated. <laughs> I feel I did about as well as Cisco food tastes. Okay. All right. Next up, we have um, from the German Democratic Republic, uh, <laughs> Ms. Kristen McCurdy. <clears throat> The founders of the Dairy Queen system were men and women who introduced a new kind of dessert treat and... (laughs) Gotta keep a straight face. (laughs) And in the process, developed the foundation of the franchising industry. The history of the Dairy Queen system is a story (laughs) of a unique Damn it, Brendan. (laughs) Do I have to ask you to leave? That created an industry. Our phenomenal story began with a 10 cent sale of a then unnamed product. <laughs> Um, on August 4th or menacing at all well no hang on though because if if you were watching like a documentary on the History Channel or something and the narrator suddenly just could not stop laughing that would be really fucking creepy or even like the PR flack for Dairy Queen yes (laughs) this is what an orgasm sounds like All right, of a then unnamed product on August 4th 1938 in Kankakee Illinois, a father and son in the mixed plant business in Green River, Illinois, had been experimenting with a soft frozen lesbianism for some time. Back then, food franchising was all but unheard of, but the new product's potential made it a natural for such a system. Shortly after the war, the system took off at a pace. Virtually unrivaled before or since. With only 100 stores in 1947, it grew to 1,446 in 1950, and then to 2,600 in 1955. Although much has changed in the world and in the Dairy Queen system through the years, one constant has remained. Dairy Queen stores are still and always have been the place to find Little League teams celebrating a victory. 
business people on their lunch break. Families taking time out to enjoy great food and soft serve treats. You could have stopped halfway through the sentence. Dairy Queen stores are still the place to find Little League teams. <laughs> so wait, they, they got there, they exploded after World War II, so they must have used the same techniques that NASA did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking it was, it was Nazi scientists. There are two were, more sentences, yeah. but I'm, I'm done. It's a Dairy Queen system. All right. <laughs> Uh, I was going to give that a three, but uh, once I started envisioning a PR rep sm- smeared in milk fat huffing nitrous, <laughs> seven and a half. Seven and a half. <laughs> <laughs> a good showing for the GDR there from Ms. McCurdy. All right. Now, uh, performing to the, the Monsanto oh, about yeah. page. Here we go. Here is Brandon Atkins. <clears throat> Monsanto, a corporate history. 1901. John F. Queenie founds the original Monsanto. Atkins having trouble with his opening. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's going to hurt him. That's going to hurt him. Probably this is TV and not radio. The first product of that company was Saccharin. <laughs> <laughs> Everything on this page is written in passive voice. It's <laughs> <laughs> just so wrong. Okay. 19, after 1901, it skips forward 44 years. 1945. The original Monsanto produces and markets agricultural chemicals, including 2,4-D. That's all it says. 1960, the agricultural division is established. 1981, a molecular biology group has been set up and biotechnology is firmly established as Monsanto's strategic research focus. 1982, Scientists working for the original Monsanto were the first to genetically modify a plant cell. Nineteen eighty seven. The original Monsanto conducts the first US field trials of plants with biotechnology traits. Nineteen ninety four, ninety three years after they were founded, the original Monsanto's first biotechnology product to win regulatory approval goes on sale in the US. 1996, the original Monsanto acquires the plant biotechnology assets of Agrocetus and purchases an interest in cow gene. Flat. <laughs> yes. Monsanto needs better flats. <laughs> don't look at me. I don't think Monsanto does need better flags. 2001, Actually, Monsanto becomes the terrifying. first agricultural company to introduce a second generation trait product. And then there's a bunch of other stuff, but I'm going to stop reading All right. there. All right. Clearly, I need to show motherfuckers how it's done. <laughs> Wait, do I get a rating? Oh, oh, oh okay. No. Just you out. Uh, that was a strong eight, but uh, considering you were stroking a cat while doing it, you, you really should have done better, and so it's a six. Sorry. Oh. That's right. Fair enough. The cat is in his lap. Come on. Well, the cat is actually supposed to sit on the arm of your chair. That's that's my understanding. Or across one arm. Yeah, yeah. All right, for my contribution when I, here When tonight. I conduct my super villainy, that's that's how I carry the cat. <laughs> I want to have a giant caterpillar <laughs> on the arm of my chair and stroke it. Uh, okay, so I will be reading uh, from wendys.com. I'll be reading Dave's Legacy, of course, referring to Dave Thomas, uh, the, the late founder of the company. When Dave Thomas opened our first Wendy's restaurant in 1969, he opened the door to a new gold standard in quality food. His words, we don't cut corners on quality, affected everything from our hamburgers to our customer service. When other restaurants were using frozen beef and mass-producing food, Dave developed an innovative method to prepare fresh made-to-order hamburgers allowing us to quickly serve high quality and variety to millions of customers daily. 
Every day we honor his legacy and continue to live through his values and fresh philosophy by using select premium ingredients and serving food that's made fresh with every order. That's the way it's always been, and that's the way it will stay. Yahtzee! <laughs> <sighs> well, I can see which one of us had time to practice. <laughs> also, the one that was only a paragraph long as opposed to the two pages I had. <laughs> Actually, I just I scrolled down and there's like there's like way more. There's like all these landmarks in Dairy Queen history, like the the Buster Bar bursts forth. Oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> and, we didn't uh, talk about the greatest theme restaurant in Portland, which is no longer uh, exactly open, but the uh, the Vegan Pirate Restaurant up in the what? northwest. It's what? open. They just have naked people now. Yeah, which closed down and remodeled and then switched with the exact same menu to the vegan strip club Casa Diablo. Wow. I did not know that. Uh, I've not I went to Vegan Pirates. It was bad and the menu was really openly hostile. <laughs> it was the worst food at the highest price point. <laughs> now with tits. <laughs> right. It was really 7-Eleven caliber food and and Yeah, uh, well I I it made me really think of like school lunches. It a way that was almost pleasant, except school lunches cost like a dollar, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they, they close it down and they open And apparently they do not insist that the strippers are vegan. They actually specifically hire meat-eating meat uh, dancers and then force them to eat vegan on shifts. That seems even weirder. That's... That, 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 that gets a little, like... Well, it's, it's, Everyone's got their own kink. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Like... I will violate you in this way. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, America. <laughs> the internet, I'm really sorry about that joke. You've been very tolerantly listening to Think Again, my friend. Um, produced by Kristen McCurdy and myself. Uh, sorry. With, with help from Tom Henderson. Oh, yeah. I have judgments. Oh, 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 oh shit. Okay. Come on in. Please present your judgment. Bring it. All right. Um... <clears throat> So, uh, so I guess you know we really should have a winner, because it's a game game show. If you want, well, uh, so Brendan Adkins just just dropped the Cheesecake Factory followed by Hooters joke. I mean, there's nothing there. You just left me hanging, so you're <laughs> out. You're out of the running. Oh, Kristen, you pretended to, but you disavowed Garfield books, right? Oh, I have no idea what a Garfield book is shaped like, and how can you do that when I think we all enjoyed. Uh, Garfield sits around the house. Uh, uh, Garfield um, chews the fat. Garfield chews the fat, mm -hmm. and uh, Slavo Zizek first as tragedy, then as Garfield, which mm -hmm. I, I think we all enjoyed. Uh, Marcus refused to say precisely zero euros, and I thought <laughs> that that was a lot of opportunity to say a lot of Z's. And so the winner would be Michael Sugar, Sugar, Baker. <laughs> Sugar Baker. If we knew his name. <laughs> if we knew his name. And additionally, if he were not a franchise owned by the Mormons, which renders him <laughs> ineligible for winning. There's no winner. We all lose. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for saying it aloud. I, <laughs> I've rendered my judgment. Uh, the show is produced by Kristen McCurdy and myself with help from uh, Matthew Schuler, uh, Kim Armstrong, Brian Bingold, and the inestimable uh, the bubble, bum, 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 bum. Uh, Thanks to our panelists, Mark Burgo, Kristen McCurdy, and Brendan Atkins. That has been our program. <laughs> with Penis some Buster help, Parfait. With some help from people outside. Um, hi, everybody. <laughs> Our theme contains elements from the album, Waves of Energy, by Synthetic Synergy. Our show is copyright 2012. All rights reserved.